Every town has one. The local ghost story. The spooky legend that children retell around campfires and during sleepovers. But behind every story of Bloody Mary and the man with the hook hand, there is a grain of truth that sprouted into an enduring legend. There is a real-life case, a death or a murder, an incident that was the seed of legends. And the monsters in these stories? The very neighbors, friends, or even family members living right next door to you. Hi, we are the Dreadful Darlings. I'm Betty. And I'm Sam. We're two sisters living in the Midwest with a passion for true crime and the macabre. We're going to delve into the seed that took root and became hometown horror stories. Okay, Sam. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Today I'm going to tell you the story about Hunley House in Carbondale, Illinois of 1928. It was just before midnight. Olga Casper was up with a fussy baby, pacing in the nursery when she heard, over the sound of thunder, gunshots coming from her neighbor's house. Oh, shit. Like any good nosy neighbor in a hometown, Olga immediately looked out the window and saw in the Hunling house across the street, somebody was turning off all of the lights. Moments later, she heard footsteps running away from the Hunley house into town. Oh, hell no. Olga immediately called the police, who arrived within minutes. They discovered a shocking scene of brutal violence. The homeowners, J.C. Hunley and his young wife, Luella, were both dead. J.C. Hunley was in his bedroom in his nightshirt and socks, shot twice, point blank, in the back of the head. Luella was found on the back stairs, leading out of the kitchen, an unfinished letter on the table and pencil on the floor near her. Luella, known as Ella, was shot three times. Once in the heart, twice in the head. Which, what is our zombie rule? A double tap. Always Always double tap. That is a triple tap. That's a triple tap. That's overkill. We're going to call that overkill. Luella was dead when police arrived. J.C. was still alive and moaning, but he died on his way to the hospital. Newspapers dubbed it the most shocking crime in a generation. Mm. (laughs) Which makes you wonder, like, what was the most shocking crime in the previous generation? Like, do they have a shocking crime every generation? But if this is, like, the bar that's set for this generation, like... There had to have been something worse than has happened before. There's no way this generation. the worst. Well, apparently it was. (laughs) The small town of Carbondale, which to this day only has a population of about 26,000. I had a really hard time finding how many people were in the town in 1928, but um, I'm going to assume significantly less than there are now. They're all getting shot in their fucking home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The small town of Carbondale was shocked by the brutal double slaying, but the case is still unsolved 90 years later. I'm not surprised. <laughs> the main suspect, J.C. Huntley's own son, Victor. So I like to know a little bit more about both the victims and the, the suspects in these cases because it helps you to understand their the motives and the reasons why they might have get, been shot. I'm going to be honest. This story old. <laughs> yeah, real old. Yeah. Uh, 90 years ago this happened. And I really had to dig to find any information. And it was kind of hard to find anything that spoke to the character of any of the people involved in this. Right. 
But the more I dug, the more I realized that there was so much more to this story than just a murder mystery. Ooh. And the family history is actually something that needs to be looked at here, too. Mm. Which I think is actually true of any case where the suspect is a family member. You need to kind of investigate the family well, a yeah. little. But the other part of this is the house itself. It's essentially another character in this story. Like, the house will play a prominent part in both J.C. Huntley's life and the way um, he interacted with locals. And I'll explain a little bit more about that later. Um, I do think that the information I did find about them, um, that we can make some inferences and we're going to, because that's the way we are, because we a little judgy like that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's start first with J.C. Hunley. John Charles Hunley was born in 1850. There's not much info about his early life, yeah. which he was born in 1850. It's really hard to find any information about him. But what I could find, um, he first got married around 1877. He married a woman named Myrta Alden. And I was able to dig up a marriage announcement from their wedding. And it is the only thing that I really found that talks about his personality in any way. So I'm going to read a couple of little excerpts from it just to give you an idea. At the residence of the bride's father in Carbondale, February 15th, Mr. J.C. Hunley, a salesman for Kellogg and Company, married Mrs. Murta, the only daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Henry Alden. And from all accounts... She came from a very wealthy, well-to-do family. The wedding announcement goes on to say that the ceremony was beautiful and impressive. Talks about all the gifts they got. It does mention several times that his best friend in this was named Job Goodall. Pay attention to that name. That comes up later. Okay, but the part I really want to read is here at the end. Charlie was raised in this place and is still regarded as one of our Marian boys. He has always been high-toned, which I think they're saying he's a little bit, maybe of himself. I was going to say pompous. <laughs> <laughs> Generous and open-hearted. And when we say that we wish him and his fair young bride all the pleasures this life can afford, and when the golden chariots of destiny rolls around, they may be gathered with the great. We speak the filling of the entire population of the city of Marion. So Marion's about 20 miles away from Carbondale, just to give you a little context as to where this was located. So from all accounts, it appears that people liked J.C. Hunley at this time period. He was well-liked. He was spoken well of. They went on to have several children. I read four or five different articles that listed anywhere from one child to three children with different names listed for the children. But I did find on a genealogy website that in 1879, they had a child named Florence Adela. And then they had a child named Frances May in 1880. And then Victor was born in 1888 or 1889. Again, conflicting reports on this. Hmm. But Victor's the last, the last child born to them. Up until this point, J.C. seems, seems to be well-liked. He is a prosperous businessman, a traveling salesman. He works for three or four different companies out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, up until 1893. Are you ready for this? Yes, I am ready. In 1893, J.C. Hunley shot and killed a local music teacher that he caught having an affair with his wife, Murda. Now, at this point, they've been married, what, 15 years? Mm -hmm. Less than 15 years? Mm -hmm. J.C. then pled the unwritten law, meaning he murdered the man sleeping with his wife. 
What? And a jury acquitted him. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I had to look up the unwritten law because I've never heard of this before. And according to the Buffalo Law Review, the unwritten law means if a husband committed a suicide upon one taken in the act of adultery with a wife, this was a justifiable killing because he was protecting the honor of a woman and the sanctity of marriage. J.C. murdered this man for banging his wife and got off scot-free. Not only got off scot-free, but as we see as we go further in his story, there were just no consequences to his actions at all. I couldn't even find the name of the guy he killed anywhere. Like, this poor guy is, like, relegated to a footnote in other stories, which makes me feel really bad. But I guess maybe you shouldn't have been sneaking in and sleeping with... I mean, yeah, I guess. But still, like, to be killed for that? And, And not only, like... I know it's a different time period, but just think about being, well, he was sleeping with my wife, and I'm protecting the sanctity of marriage. Shrug. Following this, um, JC gives Murda the boot and divorced her, which, um, what about the sanctity of marriage? You know, You're divorcing her. What? I mean, I don't blame him for divorcing her if she was running around, but it feels like maybe he should have just done that instead of killing somebody. I mean, yeah, he was trying to, like... Have his cake and eat it, too. Yeah, He's yeah. like, I'm going to use this as an excuse to kill this guy, but fuck you, we're not married anymore. Exactly. So Murda took the children and she moves to Tennessee, somewhere in a, a tiny town somewhere in Tennessee. Some accounts I found have Victor being born after this, but according to his obituary, his date of birth was before this, and he was actually a toddler when this happened. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with the obituary on this. Regardless, J.C. disowned him. He said he's no longer my kid. And I think that's where the idea that he was born after this came up because people were saying, well, he disowned him because maybe he was the music teacher's kid. You know how women love a music man. (laughs) You especially. (laughs) Oh, oh, shots fired. (laughs) So JC disowned Victor. And according to a news article at the time, when he found out about Victor's birth, he uttered a mighty oath and declared that he was not his father. Mm-hmm. Until in approximately 1901, when 13-year-old Victor shot and killed his stepfather for beating his mother Murda. Okay. <sighs> That's a much more justified killing for me, though. It is a more justified <laughs> killing, but here we have... And you have to wonder, did the did JC shoot somebody in front of him when he was a toddler? Um, yeah. You know? Um, but we don't know that. There was no really... The case about J.C. killing somebody, there was very little information, and there was literally no info about Victor shooting and killing his stepdad. I'm not sure if back then you just, if it was a woman beater, that everybody just shrugged and moved on? I mean, I guess. I mean, maybe if that really is his son, like, maybe it's some kind of DNA thing, like... He's got some murderous genes in him and <laughs> pass it on down. That's a whole nother... Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, upon hearing of his son murdering his stepfather, JC's heart was touched. What? <laughs> and he rescued Victor, um, admitted him back into the family, and moved him home to Carbonell, Illinois. Okay, so I have questions. Did Murda take the daughters? Where's the daughter? Did know, he? Did he also is? feel bad for the daughters and take them, or is it just Victor murdering somebody made him? realize he should be a better dad? I mean, unless he, like, in some way gave this idea 
to his son. And yeah. so maybe when he actually did it, he was like, oh, shit, we're getting you out of here. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do that. And my reading into it, uh, it appears that JC not only, it was actually quoted in the news article that he rescued Victor, which makes me wonder if he didn't go down there and, like, bail him out and pay for a lawyer. Like, it didn't delve into it. It just said rescued. There's a lot of different ways to read this. During the intervening time, J.C. had become quite wealthy and had even been a one-term mayor of Carbondale from 1907 through 1908. Um, I'm going to be honest. At first, I was like, you can't even be a mayor for a year. What? (laughs) You have to be a mayor for four years, right? No. 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 So I went back and looked at the history of Carbondale mayors. And uh, and in the early 1800s and early 1900s, we had a lot of one-year mayors which I don't know if that speaks to short lifespans or if it speaks more to a sort of dissatisfaction <laughs> towards our government at that time period. For whatever reason, he was only mayor for one year. And this is where I start thinking that you start to see some of his personality and some of how people felt about him. In every news account and every article I read about him, it only caught... Co- like, mentions him as the one-term mayor or one-time mayor. He's never referred to, even, like, right after he died, you don't see beloved mayor of Carbondale or anything that, like, seems that Carbondale embraced him in any way. He's truly just mentioned as a one-term mayor. So I don't think he was a popular mayor by any means. Well, I mean, when you elect a murderer as your mayor, I don't think you'll like right? him very and much. That also says something about Carbondale. This guy had <laughs> murdered somebody. And like 15 years later, Carbondale was like, I mean, he'd make a good enough mayor, right? Like, what was his platform? Shoot anyone you want. It's fine. I mean, but not even that. He was a murderer. His son is a murderer. Yes, yes. Um, Living in Carbondale. Yeah. He married Luella in 1915. So many years after he's taken his son back in and moved him home. Oh, that's right. Yeah, his son murdered his stepfather before he became mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) Carbondale, you crazy. All right. J.C. married Luella in 1915, and they built Hunley House in that time period. There's conflicting dates on when Hunley House was built. I've seen 1875. I've seen 1907. I've seen 1912. These are vastly different dates. I'm going to rely on the 1912 date because that's what I saw more than once, and the other dates I only saw one time. Luella was born in 1870, and she was 20 years younger than J.C. when they got married. She was born into a wealthy and prestigious family and had a very wealthy father who was one of the founding fathers of a local town called Heron, Illinois, and owned many of the coal mines locally. Coal was king in southern Illinois back in the day. So that meant that not only did they have money, but they were probably like in the top echelon of society. Um, And for her to marry a divorced murderer (laughs) meant that yeah the one-time mayor meant that uh jc hunley was quite wealthy um i I can't imagine any other reason why her family would have let her marry him he seems like a douchebag Mm -hmm. but she was also what 35 when they got married which is a little older back in that time period they built hunley house together Which is where we get into Hunley House and its presence in this story. 
Hunley House was located in what was then the outskirts of town, which we know is like the very middle of town now. But back then it was the very outskirts of town. It's a two-story brick mansion designed by Francis Deacon, who was a student of Frank Lloyd Wright. There was a lot of contention around the construction of this building. Local people did not like how big the house was. The construction they hired out of town laborers to come in and build it instead of local laborers. They did things like the mahogany was imported from Brazil. People in the area saw all of that as an ostentatious show of wealth. You just didn't do these things. And not using local labor was a big problem. I would say that was part of the beginning of the town not liking J.C. Huntley. As a matter of fact, the headlines the day after the murder read in huge letters, double murder here, and then beneath it in pretty big letters, J.C. Hunley and wife slain by mysterious assailant at pretentious home last night. (laughs) (laughs) Some petty news reporters. Oh, yeah. And, And you'll see, I read about five or six news articles from that time period about this murder, and that house is mentioned every time in very derogatory terms. People were really judgmental about this house being built in town. So much the point that I mean, like I said, the house is like a third character in the story. Him and his wife dying received equal coverage with the town's disdain for their home. This brings us back to Wednesday, December 12th, 1928. Jacob Goodall, which you might remember his name from earlier, Joe Goodall, the friend of the family, who had been a longtime friend of J.C. Hunley, visited the Hunleys at their home, had dinner with them, and stayed until about 8 o'clock at night. Goodall actually told the police later that J.C. in the weeks leading up to this murder had told him that he planned to disinherit Victor. That he and Victor had joint ownership, a partnership in a local mine, and that he was dissolving that partnership, and that he was disowning Victor. But the night of the murders, the Hunleys mostly spoke about they had an upcoming trip to Florida to their winter home, which anybody in Illinois knows how this goes. It gets real cold here. (laughs) If you can afford it, you go somewhere else during the winter. Anywhere else. Well, the Hunleys had intended to leave on Sunday and to go to Florida to their winter home. If they just intended to leave like that day, maybe they'd still be alive. Oh, ma'am. So Goodall stayed until about 8 o'clock p.m., and he said when he left at 8 p.m. via the back door, Ella locked the door behind him, like made a point of going behind him, and he said that they always kept their doors locked, and they were very careful. A mere four hours later, police would find this door unlocked with no signs of a break-in, which led the police to believe that Ella knew the killer and let him into the house. So it had to have been somebody that they were comfortable having visit late at night, And that she felt comfortable enough to just let in. Mm. Police initially thought that robbery was the motive. They found an empty pocketbook near Ella's body. I think some neighbors, I read one piece where neighbors said that she kept that pocketbook with like change to pay for delivery service in her writing desk. Possible maybe she had it out for some reason while she was writing the letter, but it was empty. She could have been like, it could have been like a delivery person of some kind i mean yeah it was late at night but like it also could have been like we've watched so many episodes of criminal minds where like the guy he'll pretend to be a police officer and be like ma'am i need to ask you questions and they just like 
I never even thought about like a cop showed up and she let him in. Right. It could it really could have been anybody. Not I don't trust Victor though. I'm not ruling him out. We'll we'll talk about the suspects in just a second. And I'm with you on I don't trust Victor. The reason that robbery doesn't actually make sense in this is that the house was full of antiques and expensive art and apparently quite a bit of cash in different rooms and none of that was taken. Hmm. Just as one pocketbook was empty. Police immediately went hard on their investigation. They brought in scent dogs. They searched the house. They questioned all the neighbors. Oh, and P.S., Victor lived two doors away. What? <laughs> so they went to him and woke him up and said there's been there's been an incident and would later claim that he held Ella's body as she died, but police at the scene said that didn't happen. I tend to believe the police here. There's no reason why they would say that that didn't happen. Police surmise J.C. was killed first as he was getting ready for bed, sitting on his bed. Um, They even guessed that the the killer hid behind the eight-foot-tall headboard and jumped out and surprised him. Seems implausible to me. Like, the killer had to have gotten in much earlier then and hid there and waited for him to get ready for bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you get when you have an eight-foot headboard. Yeah, nobody don't have, needs that. Nobody shit. needs that. That's tall enough for somebody to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Never, never have an eight foot. That's a stay alive tip yes. from the dreadful dwellings. <laughs> um, Ella was writing a letter in the kitchen when she heard the gunshots, um, and it looks as if she was running up the back stairs to check on her husband. Now, the way this house was built, there was a set of front stairs. Are the house is still standing. There's a set of front stairs, like the grand foyer steps, and then there were back stairs that were more like the servant stairs coming from the kitchen upstairs. Police believe that the killer knew the layout of the house well enough to know that if he came down the front steps, he could come up behind Ella and surprise her. Mm -hmm. So Ella was heading up the back steps towards the sound of the gunshots. Killer came up behind her and shot her three times, and she fell with her body half on the steps. To this day, there's still a bullet hole in the stairs that all of the previous owners have not covered up and have kept there. Speaking of macabre. Yeah. The killer then went around and turned off all of the lights and fled on foot away from the Hunley house towards Victor's house. All right. So now let's get into the suspects. Are you ready? Yeah. There's two suspects in this murder. What? Only two. I've got like four. I know. I feel feel like I've got more than that. But, But when we get into the suspects, there's a favorite. Favorite. Okay. One suspect was a drifter because there's always a drifter. To me, okay, as a true crime junkie, I have to say, so many of the cases, you always hear the cops go, well, it must have been somebody passing through town. And I think it speaks to some of what we're talking about in this podcast series that feeling that small town, that hometown coziness couldn't be somebody we know that did this. Oh, there's no way. Um, and we just cannot believe that people like that live in our town and go to the grocery store or the church we go to, but they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, okay, suspect number one, drifter, which mm. immediately the police must suspect because he's a drifter. You know, it could have been. Never know. The drifter's name was John McCall, and he had escaped from an Alabama chain gang a few months prior. Okay. This is... All I could find about this guy, anywhere. I could not find what he was on the chain gang for. I could not find if he was reapprehended. I really, there was no information. They suspected him because he showed up and tried to, tra- or actually successfully traded a 45 caliber pistol, the same type of gun used in the shooting, for a train ticket. 
home, out of town. However, he was turned in by the man that traded him for the train ticket, which turned out was a ticket agent. Like, I, I guess that's another thing from the 1800s is you could just show up with a gun and be like, can I have a ticket? And they're like, sure, give me your gun. Okay, I, w- I kind of wish things were still like that, though, where people would just be like, I only have these two chickens. Could you, like, give me something for them? It's a barter system. That's what we need. Except then the train agent called the police and were like, this guy brought in this gun. However, John McCall was released because the pistol was clean. I read six different news articles, and each one said clean, and that was it. And I don't know enough about guns or forensics, and there wasn't a lot of forensics around back then. I don't know if that meant the pistol like had never been shot, it didn't match the shells they found... Or the casings they found wouldn't be... Sh- I do know enough to know that a forty-five wouldn't have shells. It would have casings. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel he, like... He also couldn't account for where he got the gun from. Oh, that he well, was an weird. impoverished homeless man with a forty-five. That was suspect number one. Okay. Um, that's it. He is merely a footnote in this story. <laughs> never to be mentioned again. Because John McCall... Hitched a ride out of town. Never to be seen. Okay, that brings us to our second suspect, Victor Hunley. Mm -hmm. Victor Hunley was the prime suspect. Okay, let's talk about the evidence. The scent dogs that they brought in went to his house from the Hunley house four separate times. Every time they took the dogs back to the house and started over trying to catch the trail of the killer, it just went straight to Victor's house. Now, my understanding is that a scent dog has to have um, a smell to follow. Right, that's what I was thinking. And I, this is the only area where I'm like, yeah, that sounds damning, but if Victor visited his family often and he was only two doors down and he walked there all the time, maybe he's just picking up the smell of this guy that walked over to visit his family all the time. Yeah, exactly. Did they even have anything of the suspected killers to give a scent? The police found several slips of paper between the houses on the trail that the the route taken by the fleeing killer that the remember our, our Olga at the beginning mm-hmm. nursing her baby? She heard somebody run past her house. Right. Well, they found some slips of paper mm-hmm. on this path. One was dated December 5th and it was a notice of the termination of partnership between JC and Victor and their mining operation. The second was a bank deposit slip. And on the back were notes in Ella's handwriting. It was notes about a loan for about $532. And across the top was written the name Vic. Okay. Again, this sounds like really damning evidence. Mm. And are we supposed to believe he stole these papers to try to remove suspicion from him and then dropped them as he ran away? Yeah, that sounds a little more like they were just happened to perfectly be in the place, like, in the path that the killer took to escape. Like, that sounds a little suspicious. I hate to be this way, but this sounds like some cops planted these. Um, It does sound a little too convenient to me. Yeah. But that's evidence number two. All right, evidence number three. Police discovered a blood-splattered shirt in Victor's house. Victor initially claimed it was from holding Ella as she lay dying. Now, remember, cops said he did not do this, that he did not touch her body. (laughs) Later, he said, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. It's from quail hunting. And the police are like, which is it, dude? What? 
Were you holding your dying stepmother, or were you hunting quail with it? I've just got so many blood-soaked shirts, (laughs) I don't remember which one happened when. Again, sounds like damning evidence. They sent it off to a lab in St. Louis. The blood was tested. It was not human blood. So it could have been from quail. He truly has so many blood-spattered shirts (laughs) that he just can't keep up with what they were from. I mean, but if he had killed his stepdad, you know, he might have... Some kind of issues. Maybe he was, like, just killing animals, you know? I feel like we grew up in a house where there was hunting. And I know that blood does get on things. But he wasn't, like, some bachelor living alone, which we're going to get to that in a second. He lived with a wife. He just held on to that. He didn't clean his. We don't know what kind of house they kept. Maybe they really don't wash his bloody laundry. But maybe they should. They should try. They should try. Victor was taken in by the police, questioned for seven grueling hours, and at one point they said he put his head in his hands and shouted, oh my god, this is horrible. This is terrible, I'm sorry. It's quoted, at least in every news article, that he said that as some kind of damning evidence against him, but if your dad was just murdered and you're being questioned by the police, I kind of understand Putting your head in your hands and crying out. Yeah, I bet he's super stressed out. I mean, or yeah. he's just, he just committed some murders. Or he just committed some murders. Yeah. I don't know. Victor claimed he was home all night with his wife and his seven-year-old daughter. He said that he read, ate dinner, read some comics to his daughter, and helped put her to bed. This is mostly collaborated by his wife. I kind of found it funny that one news article said that his wife dis- disagreed with this story because he didn't help put their daughter to bed. <laughs> Which, hell no, he didn't help. I'm here for that petty energy. I'm here for it. And then he says he went to bed early and was awakened by the police later. Which, if you were establishing an alibi and saying you're going to bed and your wife's up putting your daughter to bed and cleaning the house or doing the dishes or whatever and... I don't know. That actually sounded really sexist. I didn't do. Maybe she was reading. Yeah. But, like, he went to bed early. Maybe he snuck out and she didn't notice. I mean, yeah. If and she's busy taking care of the kid. Yeah. I just don't think it's a very good alibi. No. We don't know what the seven-year-old said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. There's no... Yeah. Okay. You ready for the next piece of evidence against Victor? He admitted to owning a forty-five caliber pistol. However, he claimed he loaned it to his dad, JC. And... The pistol's never been found, ever. It was not found in the Hunley house. It's just never resurfaced. Missing, missing potential murder weapon. The funeral for the Hunleys was on December 15th, and Victor was arrested immediately following the funeral as he was walking out of the funeral. Okay, damn. That kind of sucks. Like, you (laughs) just left your parents' funeral (laughs) and you're getting arrested. But then he was released without bonds and sent home for house arrest. While they investigated. And this is where the story starts to get a little... Well, it's always... A lot of it's been a little weird. Yeah. During this murder investigation of two people shot in the head, they're like, our main suspect can just go home? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm just... Anything that comes to I'm just, like, not even phased. Well, it's said that his wife had a nervous breakdown during all of this from the scrutiny by the police and from the public. Actually took her daughter and went and stayed with her parents for a little while. As the police dug into it more, they found out that there had been years and years of strife between J.C. and Victor. And there were rumors that he was having an affair with Ella, his stepmother. Oh. Ella was 20 years younger than 
JC. Right. But 20 years older than Victor. Mm. Mm-mm. And he, like, says he ran and, like, clung to her body, actually. Held her body. Okay. Those are unsubstantiated rumors, but I don't know. It has a little... Rumors like that, they have a little grain of salt to them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It started somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was also said that he was set to inherit half of a $300,000 estate. Holy shit. I don't know anything about currency, and I don't know what that is compared to today. I'm going to go with that's worth $5 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. Uh, okay, but I feel like $300,000 in 1928 is a substantial mm-hmm. amount of money. It said that he was set to inherit half of it, which is where, again, the amount of siblings he has comes into question because the other half was supposed to be inherited by one of the daughters. Just one of them? Just one of them. So just one of the kids just, screw you. Yeah. No college for you. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know why this other daughter just completely drops off of the will and the inheritance. Maybe she wanted to leave and get the hell out of that family. I mean, at this stage, yeah. (laughs) The police investigate him for most of December. This took place on December 12th, like right before Christmas. They release him on December 31st for insufficient evidence. State's attorney Fletcher Lewis has released a statement saying, quote, While the facts and circumstances learned from the investigation amply justify the holding of Victor Hunley and the filing of a complaint charging him with murder, I have decided to prosecute this particular case no further. And I feel quite sure that the atrociousness of this crime will compel the conscience of the person who committed it to someday make public his guilt. All right, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like the state's attorney was like, I don't know, maybe he'll feel bad one day and tell us. Yeah, it sounds like he was just like, I'm tired of working on this. I'm done. Like, maybe he'll just give up. Yeah. I'm actually kind of confused about this. So they arrest him, they investigate, and then they just decide to not press charges. They have a missing murder weapon. They thought they had good evidence. They had this blood spatter shirt. They had these receipts. But then the blood spatter shirt, it would take time to get that. Maybe that's what happened. They got the lab report back and they were like, it's not human blood. Yeah. But I would still, like... Investigate it more? Investigating. Like, in the beginning, they were just so hard on it. Like, getting these dogs in here and so so much investigation. And they were like, meh. Which makes you wonder if... There wasn't a payoff involved? Or, it just feels very suspect to me that the police would just randomly decide that this case wasn't worth pursuing anymore. Right. And that like they wouldn't suddenly. keep trying to investigate it. I looked into the Jackson County unsolved murders and the Illinois State unsolved murders. And this murder is not listed as an unsolved murder. Just a... Get that out there. And I don't know if that's because they just don't keep records that far back. They don't keep investigating them. Like, there's definitely not some dedicated cold case unit here in Illinois. Illinois. Victor lived to the age of 75. He died from a heart attack. He married twice, had one child, which was the seven-year-old in the story. What came out later, though, was that J.C. Hunley wasn't as rich as everybody thought he was. When he died, he only had uh, $50,000, which, again, I'm like, 1928, $50,000. That's, like, pretty upper middle class. Right? At least. He's still doing it, but it wasn't as rich as everybody thought he was. Right. 
Hunley House was sold furniture and all to a local businessman who's quite wealthy. So Victor didn't get the house. He didn't get the furniture. And I don't know who benefited from the sale of these items. I wasn't able to find that information out. Hunley House has had five owners since then. And every owner has reported that the house is haunted. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. The haunting of Hunley House. So this story, this is what I like about this story. This is why this is the one I wanted to do first. It has all the elements. It's an unsolved case. It's a murder. There's intrigue. There's lots of murder, actually. And there's a haunting. People report screams of get out, gunshots, the piano playing. Even when there was no piano in the house, people report piano playing. And I don't, I wasn't able to find... Did somebody play the piano? Was Luella a piano player? Mm, they played records. Maybe. There are several incidents of the front porch swing moving on its own on a non-windy day. Mm. And some people even report that they hear Mrs. Hunley, and I quote, curse, cursing up a storm <laughs> in a way that would make anybody blush in the kitchen. Yeah, that sounds like my kind of woman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Did Victor do it? Did John McCall do it? What do you think, Sam? I, I'm on the fence about Victor, honestly. Like, there are certain elements that make me think, like, oh, yeah, he has motive, and he could have definitely done it. But I don't know. I just feel like, back to what I was saying before, like, somebody else, like, somebody that knew... Maybe somebody that knew that there was strife going on between them. Right. Like, could have used that to, like, cover his tracks. He knew he could frame Victor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's... And there was a daughter who was set to inherit money, too. She's right. never mentioned in this case. Yeah. I did find one mention that said that she was in Memphis and couldn't have done it. Mm. But that's it. It's the only time she's mentioned. And they don't really speak of Luella's family in any way. Right. I still almost feel like if it was a drifter just looking for quick cash, he would have just grabbed some money out of a pocketbook. Yeah. And wouldn't have, like, taken... I mean, you're not going to take antiques and art if you're on foot fleeing a scene. But to, like, take the time to go upstairs and kill JC and then come back around and make sure he killed the wife, like, that seems... Personal. And the double taps make it seem much more personal. True. Like, it needed to be a done deal true and it also feels like why did he go around turn off all the lights yeah the cops actually mentioned that the light switches weren't centrally located in a way that somebody who hadn't visited the house before would be able to easily turn them on and off Mm -hmm. like the cops said they actually fumbled around trying to find the light switches so they could look into the house and search the house so they said that that was proof that it was somebody who knew the house because the lights turned off almost immediately after the gunshots. Because this neighbor, this nosy neighbor who watched it all go down. I mean, it could have been two people. Two also. people working together? Yeah. Because, like, there could have been another person waiting to shoot the wife as she went upstairs. And then the other person comes down right after the wife gets shot and hurries and shuts off all the lights. Which I makes mean, it a double homicide by double perpetrators. <laughs> <laughs>
Did it ever say what she, what letter she was writing when she no, was shot? No, I couldn't find any information about what she was writing. They said that there was a pencil near her hand and that there was a an unfinished letter on the table. I almost wonder if the pocketbook didn't contain the slips of paper that they found. I mean, maybe he just like grabbed everything in the pocketbook and, and took off the running paper, and was going through which everything. makes me think it's not Victor. Right, exactly. Because Victor wouldn't have thrown those pieces of paper aside because yeah. it would have made him look guilty, but a random stranger or somebody else... I did read one article kind of hinted that they blamed Victor's wife because she ended up having this nervous breakdown, a pretty public nervous breakdown, and that she did it because she heard that Victor was going to be disinherited but i also read that victor later victor was married twice Mm -hmm. so i didn't find out if she died or if they divorced Mm. but that's just throwing out another random suspect that there's no proof it was just rumored in a small town like this i can see people pointing fingers wildly at anybody which is why i was very surprised to see two suspects and that was it yeah i felt like they kind of and this is the only area where i feel like maybe maybe victor didn't do it and the cops just decided he did it immediately and then they never looked into any other suspect and they never researched further in that case that's a miscarriage of justice well i mean it makes sense though since they thought they had such a solid case in the beginning they were like Mm -hmm. oh it's obviously victor there's no need to even like think about other people yeah especially when they found the blood spattered shirt in his house yeah they were like oh it's over it's done we've got it yeah true but i mean i i kind of think maybe victor's wife like if she heard a rumor going around town that her husband was messing with with stepmom Mm -hmm. and you know he walked that past to their house enough for scent dogs to catch Mm -hmm. it there were two people in the house and victor they never questioned his wife they corroborated his um, alibi with her but i don't think they ever asked her what she was doing well she's just a a simple little housewife. How could True. she have possibly committed such a heinous crime? Heinous? That's what Her- <laughs> heinous. Heinous. That's what I was saying. So, tell us who you think did it. Was it Victor? Was it John McCall? Or do you think it was somebody else entirely? Also, if you have a hometown horror story you'd like to see featured, leave that as in the comments and we'll consider it you can find us on facebook and instagram under dreadful darlings we are going to drop our source material and our disclaimer below this episode go ahead and check those out and we will also be sharing some photos from this case on our social media both on our facebook and our instagram and you'll be able to see some photos of hunley house as well as some articles that we found so go ahead and check those out Thank you for joining us for this hometown horror story. I'm Betty. And I'm Sam. And we are at the Dreadful Gardens. Bye.